Um, Church, we're going to continue our series that we've been in called Therefore, and it's a study in the book of Ephesians. I would love for you to join me um, in the reading of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. I am reading from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. I'd love for you to stand with me as as I read uh, the word of the Lord. It says this, but fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among the saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be associated with them. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the fruitful works of darkness, but extend, instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are amongst a, a, a people, a part of a people who have seen a great light break through the darkness. Uh, Lord, thank you for your pursuit of us, and thank you for the new life that we have in you. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that what you'd continue to do in our lives is that you would teach us what it is to abide more fully with you to learn what it is to follow your ways, to learn what it is to, to, to take off the old way of living and to step into a new way of living. May, may we know, Jesus, your face shining upon us. May we know the radiance of your glory. May we know your delight and your love for us. And so we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A rabbit hole that I believe is absolutely worth your time is what's called the binary sunset motif in the Star Wars trilogies. Absolutely worth your time. And what, uh, one of the, 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 the maybe the, the, the scene that is, I mean, the scene that's up on the screen is, is probably the most iconic moment where you see on Tatooine these two suns that are setting um, in, in the background. But as you watch the, the three trilogies, what you'll notice is, is that these sunsets come into play in very key uh, moments. It's at the, epi- at the end of episode three when infant Luke is being brought by Obi-Wan Kenobi to, to Luke's aunt and uncle at the end of the movie. And at the end of the movie, as their, the infant Luke is being handed over to his aunt and uncle... This song begins to play, 
and the two sunsets are in the background. Major, major spoiler alerts, by the way. But you've had years to watch this, and actually I hope that it'll actually enhance your viewing experience if you've never watched these movies before. But when Luke dies at, the, at, at episode eight, and as he's, as he's fading away and about to become a forced ghost, there's two sunsets. But what's rad is that right before he dies, he just focuses in on one of the suns. And that's what takes place of the whole screen is that one sun. At the end uh, of the Star Wars trilogy, Rey is in Tatooine, and she sees the force ghosts of Luke and Leia. And in that moment, this is what she says. She says, I am Rey Skywalker. And as she turns to walk away, there's the binary sunset. And what's so beautiful about that moment is that as those two suns are setting on the horizon, the one sun, the one light sun, is, is setting right on Ray. And what you come to discover is that what's intentionally woven through all of these, these trilogies is that there's two suns. There's a light sun and there's a dark sun. There's a white sun and there's a red sun. And, and, and the question that each person has to wrestle with, each key person has to wrestle with, Luke, his father Anakin, and Ray, all have to wrestle with is which sun will set on them. And, and it's not just about light and darkness, but it's about bloodlines. And one of the reasons that Ray says, I'm... Ray Skywalker is that those two sons are the Skywalker family and they're the Palpatine family. And what Ray is, is acknowledging there in that moment is though she was born, major spoiler alert, though she was born a Palpatine, she's a Skywalker now. She's a Skywalker now. There's there's this motif in scripture that's, that's woven through the entire Bible. And it starts from page one. You can even read it in the opening sentences, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but, but there's, there's, this, there's this interjection that's placed there. The earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the dark waters. Darkness. Darkness is, there's this motif, right, happening through Scripture. Darkness is, is, is uncreation. Darkness is anti-creation. Darkness is, is chaos. And so there in, in at the, the very opening of the pages of Scripture is, is, is not so much this explanation of here's this scientific explanation of how God created the universe, but it's really what, what the biblical authors are getting at in the very opening pages of Scripture is here is how God hovers over 
chaos. He's greater than the darkness. And, and the embodying image of darkness for the Hebrew mind was the dark, deep waters. Because that's where monsters were. That's where Leviathan dwells. And so maybe as you think about like the book of Jonah, we'll get to Ephesians, by the way, eventually. As you look at the book of Jonah, what's so incredible about that story is that is not only is God over the dark waters, but he's actually able to use the beasts of the deep, dark waters for his own purposes. And he's going to use those things in, in a way that's going to bring deliverance, that's going to bring glory, that's going to bring his word to an enemy people. And, and that's why in the gospel accounts, when the disciples are with Jesus in the boat and, and the storm is raging around them, they are with Jesus hovering above the dark, deep waters. And when Jesus looks at the storm and, and, the, and the dark, deep waters are raging, are chaotic around him, when he says, peace be still, and everything now comes into order, everything gets moved into peace, that's why the disciples in that moment respond, who is this man? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Because what they're acknowledging there in that moment, Jesus is doing what God did in Genesis chapter 1. This is no ordinary human. So the darkness is this constant motif that gets brought up over the pages of Scripture, but right after that, right, it says that the Spirit of God hovers over the dark, deep waters, and God said, let there be light. Let there be light. And light is this constant motif that's given to us. Life is life in the garden. Light is peace. Light is the Sabbath day that was meant to go on in perpetuity. And the struggle of humanity is though that we were created to live in the light, for some reason, we constantly choose to give our allegiance over to chaos, to darkness. And so what Paul's doing here in Ephesians chapter 5 is he's playing those French horns from Star Wars. What he's doing here in, in, Genesis, in, in Ephesians chapter 5 is he's bringing to the surface this light versus darkness motif that is woven through the entire pages of Scripture. He, he's, he's in this moment where he's saying, pay attention now. Pay attention now. There's two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms at play. Which one will set on you? Which one will you live in? Which, which kingdom, which bloodline will you belong to? Which bloodline will you give your allegiance to?
Bible Project has, by the way, an incredible classroom um, resource that, that is open to anyone, and they have a course on the book of Ephesians. And in that, one of the quotes that's brought forward is, is this. There's two realities you can live in, light and dark. There's a real choice before you. But you didn't give yourself the choice. Right, we were dead. And this is Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead. You were dead in your sins. You were dead in your trespasses. You didn't have the ability to choose to live in light. And the mercy of God is that he allows us to come out from the powers and now to be able to be given a choice. This is the work that the Holy Spirit does in your life when he, when he animates your being. When you begin to follow Jesus, now listen, you are no longer a palpatine. You're a Skywalker now. You live in the light. You're a child of the light. You have a new nature. You're made in, in, to be a, an entirely new person. And what's, what's amazing is the way that Paul phrases it is, listen, you are light. In God, you are light. This is the household. This is the family that you belong to. But we got to take a we got to take a tangent. We got to take a tangent because we've got to talk about wrath. Paul here brings up right in Ephesians chapter five verses five through six. It'll come up on the screen. It says this. It says, "Be sure of this: that no fornicator or or impure person or one who is greedy." that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. We read passages like this, and, and I think a lot of times the imagery that we have in our mind is that God shows up on, in, onto the scene, and he sees humanity acting in kind of just wicked ways, and he, and he, and he shows up with, with fear, ferocity and anger and just says, I am going to destroy you now. But, but, but here's the thing that I want to have in your mind as, as we read through, honestly, a, a really tough section of Scripture. What I want you to have in your mind is that this is a letter that is written not to the world, but it is, it is a letter written to the people of God. This is a letter from Paul to a very real community in Ephesus. And what he's doing here by bringing to the surface this light versus darkness motif is he's giving a, a, a compassionate word to the people of God. God is not in the new creation, in the new Jerusalem. He is not going to bring forward darkness. He's phasing it out. You're a child of light. And with this compassionate word, Paul is telling to the people of God, stop clinging to your old way because it was destroying you. 
It was ravaging your lives. It was the very thing that God saved you from. Don't hold on to that way anymore because it's being wiped out. And what's intriguing when you begin to study Paul's perspective on God's wrath, well, the primary place that it's explored is in the book of Romans. And, I, and so that's why I said we want to take a tangent real quick to explore this. Paul is, is operating from a paradigm about wrath that we may not be operating from. Romans chapter 1, verses 18, 24, 26, 28, he shows this pattern, this, this intentional pattern about how we're meant to view God's wrath. How does God destroy darkness? How does God destroy something? His wrath is going to be shown to those that are disobedient. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. Again, verse 24, Therefore... God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. And verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. And the imagery, the perspective, the paradigm that Paul is operating with when he's talking about the wrath of God is, is humanity is so intent on living from their own perspective, living from their own understanding, pursuing the world from their own vantage point that the wrath of God is being revealed and what the wrath of God looks like is that God allows people just to keep on pursuing what they want to pursue. And humanity destroys itself. And so that, that's why Paul is telling the people of God, listen, the, the sexually immoral, the impure, the greedy, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. And it isn't this verse that the church is meant to use like a, like a baseball bat to go around and beat up the world with, right? It isn't meant to be this place where we go out and we hold up these massive banners that say, you're not going to heaven. <laughs> no, this is a, a letter written to the church that's telling them. That's a destructive path. And on that day, when God perfectly merges together heaven and earth, that way is not going to exist anymore. That way is not going forward. So cling to what's eternal to what will satisfy. Hold on to what will bring life for you. And that's why in, in, at the end in, of, 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 of the story, we're told in Revelations chapter 21, right? And God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. 
And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. There's two realities you can live in. Light and dark. There is a real choice before you. You didn't give yourself the choice. It is God's mercy that allows you to come out from the powers and to be given a choice. You're not darkness. You're light. That's who you are. That's your identity. So wake up. Rise from the dirt. Rise from the mud. And Jesus' face, man, it'll shine on you. You get to live in the delight of his presence. That's who you are now. Live according to your new nature. Live according to how God has made you to be. So Paul tells him, and you'll see the intentionality, right? The way that he phrases it to the church. That way of darkness, he ties it to identity. He ties it to who we are as the people of God. He says, don't, don't live the way of darkness. It's out of place for who we are. Don't be associated with them. You are light. So don't, don't live that way. Don't, don't be associated with immorality, greed, crassness, vulgarity. Don't live that way. And here's, what's, here's what I find so beautiful by, and, and powerful by Paul. He says, instead, here's the other option. Be thankful. And Paul seems to interject the most random commandment here in this moment. That, that you, might have, you might have anticipated, like, hey, don't be sexually immoral, don't be impure, don't be greedy, don't be crass, don't be foolish. And you might think that there was this comparative list that would say, instead, like, be, be holy and be generous and be loving and be kind and be... But this is what he does here in this moment. He says, don't be all of these things. Instead, thanksgiving. That's the contrast that he brings forward. Not all of these things. Instead, be thankful. Be thankful. I love, I love thanksgiving. I love, I, love the, I love the absurdity of the Thanksgiving Day table. Like, here's, here's what, I, what I see at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in our home as we have the opportunity to host Thanksgiving over the past few years. We have every single kind of silverware on the table. We have... We have a nice wine glass and we have a nice water glass that's on the table. We iron, we iron cloth napkins and those are there on the table. And we even have plates for our plates. 
There are these things called chargers. And it's just like, here, here's a plate that your plate can sit on. And the table, every square inch of the table is filled with food. There, there's all kinds of different dishes that are just spread out over the, over the table. And our table of eight has like 18 around it somehow. There's just something so incredible about the feast of Thanksgiving. It's, but it, it's, it's this day that we get to sit around and, and we get to say, God made a world of abundance. God, God made a world that is teeming with life. It's, it's a day to sit around the table with friends and the family, with family and say, God is generous. God is generous. When you look at the opening pages of Scripture, and there ensues that light and dark battle, the serpent shows up. The serpent shows up in chapter 3, and the lie given to humanity is God's not generous. God's holding back. Because if you eat that fruit, there's more to life than God is telling you about. He's withholding from you. He doesn't want you to have the understanding of good and evil. That's the lie that's given to them. And this list, interestingly enough, by Paul, is framed in the language of idolatry. These are the things that people have so often associated with their gods. You look at the Greco-Roman world at that time. It was sexual immorality. It was greed. It was impurity. It was crassness. And, and don't, don't be deceived. The Greeks and the Romans aren't more foolish than us. We're not smarter than them. And we could, we could take this perspective that looks back at them and says, yeah, it makes sense because they didn't know as much as we did and they're worshiping these false gods that are pursuing these different areas. But the reality is, just like us, people were pursuing things that they thought would bring satisfaction. People were pursuing things that they thought would bring provision, that would bring fun, that would bring laughter that would bring joy, that would bring meaning, that would bring significance to their lives. It isn't that we go after this list of things because we think, yeah, I'm going to go after that and it's totally going to destroy my life. Let me just keep on going with it. 
No, we begin to pursue these lists of things because we think like there's going to be joy there. There's going to be provision. There's going to be life. There's going to be satisfaction. There's going to be pleasure. We look at those things and it's like, yes, I want that because life will be made better. But what Thanksgiving does it reframes our mind. When we live with this posture of Thanksgiving, it allows us to see the world from a new lens. God satisfies. God sees me. God knows my needs. God knows my desires. God knows my wants. And he's good. And he'll provide for me. This posture of thanksgiving all of a sudden gives us, some, gives us new lenses to see the world around us. Let's, we'll wrap it up with, with this, this understanding of thanksgiving. It's in Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. What Thanksgiving does is it allows us to see I live surrounded by abundance. And, and, and goodness and mercy follow me every single day. Without thanksgiving, I would be unaware of it. Like a sheep without a shepherd, I would walk right through a valley of green pastures. Without Without a shepherd, I would not know that there were still waters right beside me. But what Thanksgiving does, it allows me to see I'm surrounded, and I didn't even realize it. I'm surrounded. And even in the darkest moments of my life, even when I am surrounded by enemies, what Thanksgiving allows me to see, there's a banquet table in front of me. What a posture of gratitude and Thanksgiving does, it allows me to see, even here, God will satisfy. 
Even here, God can provide. Surely, even here in the valley of the shadow of death, I am not alone. God's with me. We can move to the, thanks, to, the, to the Thanksgiving table. It might as well be that. We're going to move to the communion table. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, there in the presence of someone that positioned themselves as his enemy, Jesus sits at a, at, a, at a banquet table with them. On that night, when humanity is arguing with one another about who is the greatest amongst them, Jesus puts on the clothes of a slave, of a servant. And what he does on that night is that he... He teaches us. I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you. I see your needs. I see your longings. I see your desires. I see your pain. I see your violence. I, I see your arguing. I, I, I see the fractures that exist in your life and your relationships and I am putting on the clothes of a servant. I'm here for you. When we come to this table, it's this place that we are reminded you are a child of light and you live in a world of abundance because your God is with you. Wake up, rise from the dirt, and the light of Christ will shine on you. The privilege, the honor that is given to you is that you get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back up, and here's um, how I want you to, or I would love to invite you to, to the Lord's table. Um, what we'll do is I'll invite Pastors Brittany and Jeremiah to, to come forward, and I'll also be serving um, communion. Is you, you just come forward as, as you would like, and what we invite you to do is to take a piece of the bread and to dip it into the cup. Um, and, and it's just a way of recognizing that on the night that was Jesus was betrayed, he took the, the bread that was before him and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And he also took the, the cup. He said, this is my blood that is for the forgiveness of sins. And it's this place where, again, we were reminded God is our place of satisfaction. God is our provision. Um, recognizing that um, this is the day and age that, that we live in or just recognizing that people's um, different needs and, and desires we do have uh, a gluten-free option that's over here with Pastor Jeremiah, and we also do have um, some individual communion um, elements. If you'd prefer just to take one of those uh, communion elements, bring it back to your seat, 
and have a moment with the Lord. That is absolutely something that you are uh, welcome to do. Again, if not, we invite you to come forward um, to receive a piece of the bread, to dip it in the cup, um, and then we'll close our time with a time of worship. But let me pray. Father, thank you for the newness of life that we have in you. As Paul prays for the, for the people in Ephesus, um, Lord, that we would know the height, the depth, the width of your love for us. Would we know you to be a God of provision? Would we know you to be a God of joy and delight? Would we know you to be the king who stands over the hillside and feeds people with more than enough. Lord, for any of my friends, my brothers and sisters here in this room that are in a place of, of need, that are in a place of longing, um, that have been hoping to see your provision extended to them. Lord, would you speak a word of affirmation to their hearts this morning? that would communicate to them that you see them, that you are with them, that you are for them, and that you came not to be served, but to serve. Lord, reignite hope and, and, and faith and trust within them, but also, Lord, bring, bring provision. Provide for those areas that they have been longing to see your hand of provision extended. So we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.